0: An agricultural empire, the fulfillment of the dreams of pioneers, unexcelled in beauty, rich in achievement, and still offering a challenge mighty as the mountains. This is our Northwest Empire.
1: I'm Felix Bennell, resident historian for Cairo News Radio. Heard with Dave Ross and Colleen O'Brien, Wednesdays and Fridays on Seattle's Morning News. On this episode of the Resident Historian podcast, a new project examines Northwest history through indigenous voices.
2: Franklin Pierce sent Stevens out here to negotiate these treaties with one purpose in mind set up one reservation for all the Indian people.
1: And then, from the archives, the local folk song that poked fun at the Seattle World's Fair. And stay tuned for a roundup of exhibits, tours, talks, and other history events happening in the Pacific Northwest with the Nevergreen Minute. But first, let's go all over the map.
3: In the nation's northwest corner is Washington. It is Friday, and,
0: and that playground. means our resident historian Felix Pinell joins us for all over the map, his snapshot of the stories behind local places and things. And this week, the Danish Danish. Pastry Shop in Seattle, which may be the only place in the world where you can buy a Snitter in the world?
1: I think so. I haven't confirmed it. Even including Denmark? Yeah. We don't know. The, the origins are kind of mysterious, and we'll hmm. get to that part of the story. It's a Snitter. It's a special pastry. I brought some in this morning for everyone to try. It, Snitter roughly translates to slice in the Danish language. You can see how each Snitter segment is cut from a longer piece. Yes. Um, now, I first went to Nielsen's Pastry Shop in 1984 when it was still downtown at 3rd and Union where Ben Royal Hall now stands, and it originally opened back in 1965. What I remember most about that shop is that they served coffee in those old Solo Cozy Cups. Mm-hmm. Those are sort of, uh, primary color plastic holders with a little separate kind of disposable cone. I don't know if anybody uses those anymore. They made quite an impression on me 40 years ago. The um, place was always packed. So when Ben Royal Hall was built in the mid-'90s, I thought Nielsen's had just gone away. And then 20 years ago, I stumbled across where they'd moved to, Lower Queen Anne, just off Mercer at 2nd Avenue West, a few blocks west of Seattle Center. Now, the founder, John Nielsen, is from Copenhagen. He came to Seattle in the early 1960s. I like to think, for the World's Fair, I don't know that. He retired in 1999, and the shop has changed hands twice. Current owner is Holly Prairie. She told me she's a lifelong Seattleite. She worked at the shop while attending Seattle Pacific University, and she wrote in an email, as Seattle began rapidly changing, I couldn't bear the thought of another treasured historical business biting the dust, so I decided to purchase it, and my husband joined me in the venture. Now, what exactly is a snitter if you're out there in radio land? When I was at the shop yesterday buying a big box full... Lisa, who was working the front counter with Jensen, described them.
0: A snitter is a flattened cinnamon roll um, with a line of custard in it. So it it it's dense, but you still get like kind of the crispy edges, which are nice in a cinnamon roll. But it's like I don't know, it's a little different
4: and a little more decadent.
1: For me, it's that bead of custard. It looks like it was played yeah. with a cock gun. It's a thick bead of custard, and it's sort of it's like this. In a really nice way, it just you kind of your mouth kind of works around to kind of take little bites of that. And it's I like concur. It's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What
4: do you think, Kevin? <laughs> yeah. Not bad. It it does taste like cinnamon roll. I you had me barely taken a bite out I, of it. I, I gotta talk. I you know yeah, and that's this thing kind is
5: good. of good. Oh,
4: it's really good. I yeah. know it's not a burger. It's really crisp, good. But You like it? No,
0: no. I you know, <laughs> again cinnamon roll ish with custard down the middle. Mm. Yeah. Any, anything
4: full of cinnamon and sugar, and it has got to be butter in there as well. Lots of butter, Uzi they say. Yeah, with, yeah, butter. Yeah. with butter. Probably cardamom, maybe.
1: Yeah, and, the, and the recipe is, is a secret, of course. of course. And the origins are mysterious or maybe opaque. I'm told John Nielsen is still alive. Nobody would give me his phone number. I gave him my business card a few weeks ago. They said they'd get it to him. You know, he's kind of a mysterious individual. He's never told anyone, including Holly Prairie and the previous owner, where the name and the concept and the recipe actually came from. So it's hmm. it's kind of nice. It's like a little bit of a mystery. It remains a mystery. Well, yeah. thank you for bringing it up for the whole class. It I is sure a, t- nice.
4: a tasteful mystery, I might just, It's just a big suck-up, bringing,
0: bringing treats yes.
1: for everyone, yes, <laughs> so you'll like me more. <laughs>
0: yeah. Felix Bunnell, all of his features are at MyNorthwest.com. And do you post free samples as well? I guess you can't do that yet.
2: Whether we travel by water, land, or air, we are thrilled by the scenic grandeur of the evergreen state
0: seattle's morning news a new podcast from the fort nisqually living history museum is all about northwest stories told by indigenous voices and our resident historian felix Benell spoke with members of the team Putting it all together, Felix is brought to us by Lake Washington
1: Windows and Doors. Good morning. Morning, Dave. Yeah, the podcast is called Indigenous Voices. It's a brilliant idea. It was inspired by an event held a year ago at Fort Nisqually Living History Museum. That's at Point Defiance Park in Tacoma. People participating included members of the Muckleshoot, Nisqually, Puyallup, Silicon, and Squaxin Island tribes. That event in March 2021 was an online panel discussion with members of all those tribes. It was organized by Elizabeth Rudrude and Jennifer Ott. The topic was what's called the 1855-1856 Treaty War, which included death and destruction in Seattle and the White River Valley, and about the U.S. government document which contributed to that war, the Medicine Creek Treaty of December 1854. Now, we've talked here before about elements of this story, the actions and missteps of territorial governor Isaac Stevens, criminal prosecution and execution of people like Leshi, who were clearly combatants and not criminals. And we've included indigenous voices in our history stories. It would be malpractice on my part if we didn't, and the stories would suffer. But this panel last March was qualitatively different by several orders of magnitude. It was tribal people talking at length about that brutal time in Northwest history, which really wasn't that long ago, but which is still misunderstood by so many. And they are talking about the way that time's been misunderstood within multiple tribal communities and and the non-tribal community over the last 150 years. I spoke with some of the participants a few days ago. This is Warren King George of the Muckleshoot tribe
5: there have been a number of narratives there have been a number of explanations and versions of this story of the medicine creek treaty being told but it's in in my opinion i think this would would have been the the first time um consortium of representatives and descendants from the medicine creek treaty to come together and have a conversation have a a conversation that involved the history of our people and of this of this state of Washington. And part of what
1: made that easier was the pandemic and this move to online programming. It made things like bringing different people together easily uh, much more easy. Now, the initial panel led to three more panels last year. The Indigenous Voices podcast debuted in February, there's a new episode every month. As I often do, I asked a dumb question, and that is why are we still talking about the Medicine Creek Treaty, you know, 168 years later? Um, Danny Marshall, chair of the Silicon Tribe, said it's a forever document, which is still in effect and which still has a profound impact on this area's people and culture.
2: It really didn't go as planned. The whole genesis of, of the history of Washington State has been things didn't go as, as the president initially intended. Franklin Pierce sent Stevens out here to negotiate these treaties with one purpose in mind, set up one reservation for all the Indian people to be contained, and then develop uh, opportunities for American communities to be settled here in the area.
1: You know, and hearing the voices of tribal people talk about the treaty wars, it's in a way, it's inspiring. It's almost like any story about someone defending their homeland, whether it's Ukraine or the White River Valley. Now, these are not frothy discussions. Um, Warren King George says the conversations for the panels and the podcast have sometimes created difficult moments, uncomfortable moments, and powerful moments.
5: You know, we can try to imagine, you know, what some of the emotions that were going through our ancestors' uh, minds at that time and in their hearts. You know, the, the perspective of, you know, someone who's willing to lay down their life and fight for what they believe in to their death. That you know, we don't want to move our people here. Uh, we don't want to give up these resources there. We want to retain our our home. Our homeland, the place that we feel most comfortable, we're willing to fight for it, uh, to our, to our last breath. And, you know, it's sometimes that can get a little emotional, you know, when you're trying to explain to somebody why it is Native American feel the way they do about their homelands, about their traditional territory.
1: You know, one thing I often feel when I talk to someone with deep roots here is that I'm ignorant. You know, I've read a lot of the material about indigenous history, much of it written by white people, of course. And I've traveled around the region and I've paid attention to the stories. Even still, I'm always afraid I'm going to say something clumsy or just Mm -hmm. unintentionally offensive. And Danny Marshall, uh, he says, I'm not alone with those feelings. He says the panel discussions in the podcast might help address this phenomenon, make people more knowledgeable, or...
2: And gives them an opportunity to... To try and reach out and, and get more information. At least feel comfortable asking the questions when they come to our museum. So they're not saying, you know, I'm the dumb person who really doesn't know anything. I'm afraid to ask something because I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, but here's my question. And then we have these great conversations. So we've experienced that already. People will come in and say, yeah, we saw the, the, the YouTube video that was podcast on the, on the treaty panel and and we wanted to come in and, and visit and and talk more about it
1: so it's a good first step now we've talked here about changing the changing language around the people of uh, how you describe people of tribes indian natives indigenous native american danny marshall had a really simple approach he said he and others like him with centuries and millennia of roots here are just people someone like me you know well i'm one of the new people i like that um and with projects like the indigenous voices podcast and other programs at fort nisqually there's a feeling of hope for more understanding I love it here and I always envy people who have thousands of years of history and that deep connection to place. I, I just, I, I love that idea of that. And Danny Marshall says we all love the land here and that can be the foundation of just a lot of understanding and progress.
2: This is a beautiful place with so much that, that makes us connected to the area that, that we can all love and share. We haven't done it well over time, but <laughs> shared well over time, but, but we can. <laughs>
1: And it's those indigenous voices that take something that sometimes seems so abstract um, and makes it more concrete, and that's pretty cool. So it's available wherever you want to get your podcast, and we'll have links to it at My Northwest. So it's it's a great project that's probably decades overdue. Well, it's good to see that uh,
0: excuse me, that uh, kids are finally getting, I'm talking about school kids now, a realistic um, introduction to American history, unlike the ones that we got. I mean, yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah. I mean, we grew up. My generation and my group thinking that we, there's this big empty country that we discovered and, and slowly civilized. Same though. There's nobody else here. We're way
4: different generations and got the same education, unfortunately.
1: So it's just starting to to turn. Yeah. And we can't change that past, of course, but by talking about it and opening, it makes all these great stories more accessible, makes the understanding deeper. And I I have a lot of hope for the future, especially with new technology, letting us, anyone tell their story this way. It's awesome. Kids can handle the truth.
4: I've, I've had those, what are uncomfortable for me, because it's uncomfortable to learn that the education you got was, in fact, wrong or whitewashed. But to have that conversation with my seven-year-old, my eight-year-old, my you know, as she gets older, introducing her to this information and, and, and telling her the truth, Kids can handle it. She goes, oh, that's awful. (laughs) Well, mom, like, what are we going to, you know, like they want to immediately go into action mode of turning the tide. How do we do better? So, you know, keep that momentum up with the young kids.
1: Indigenous Voices podcast. Check it out. It's totally worth a listen.
3: For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity.
1: For this edition of From the Archives, Seattleites had a sense of humor 60 years ago as the World's Fair and its most famous landmark was taking shape.
3: Meet me in at the fair. If you want to meet
1: me, I'll be there.
0: It was exactly 54 years ago today. Seattle became world famous as the World's Fair opened just down the street there. And Felix Pinnell is here to help us remember. What it was like.
1: Yeah, you can't really overstate how much that fair reshaped the city. You know, we had about 10 million people went through the gates. Massive cultural infrastructure that we built over there at what's now Seattle Center. It turned to profit, made this can-do spirit that looked forward to the high-tech era we live in now. But, yeah, you know, that story's been told again and again. Enough yes, about that. Today, I want to talk about the music of the fair and sort of the myth and mystery surrounding a folk song that dared to poke fun at the fair and at the Space Needle. You know, the song we heard a moment ago was probably the best-known song during the fair. It's See You in Seattle by Joy and the Boys. I call Pat O'Day, who I, who I like to call all the time, for any excuse. In 1962, he was program director in The Afternoon Guy on KJR. He remembers Joy and the Boys.
3: <laughs> Meet me in Seattle at the fair. I'll be there. You know, something like
1: that. <laughs> Pat, has, Pat has a nice yeah, voice. Um, he, he also remembers another selection, which he says was the only other fair song that they played regularly on KJR. This one's about a man on the observation deck of the Space Needle who looks through a telescope through an apartment window where he sees, what else, a naked woman.
3: I remember we played it on KJR. Wasn't that a mighty day, great God, that evening when the needle hit the ground? <laughs> and in that window standing there was a maid so fair, but for the hair upon her head, that maid so fair was fair, wasn't that a mighty day? Wasn't Great God,
4: when the needle hit the ground.
1: So we we don't have time to play the whole song, but to make a long story short, everyone rushes over to take a look at the naked woman. The needle tips over and falls off and rolls down the hill and cuts the viaduct in half. <laughs> So
0: not a bad way to get rid of it. That's not
1: the news. We're talking about fiction right now, just so people don't worry. They're laying there in bed or in your car right now. The viaduct is still standing. So the recordings from a forty five that was produced in a little folk club in a basement in Pioneer Square, a place called 92 Yesler. It was in business for a brief time back then. There was a really thriving folk scene, you know, Kingston Trio, the Brothers Four, that was that era. Uh it was it it, so it was in the fifties and early sixties. The singers are Mike and Maggie, and the song was written by a guy named Chris Todd. These are all local people, they're in their early twenties. Mike Malasso passed away in the 1970s, but I spoke with Maggie Savage a few days the ago. The
3: radio stations all went nuts for it. And they were doing it like every hour on the hour. <laughs> and it was lovely. I mean, it was really grand that they were doing this. And then all of a sudden, it stopped happening. And we were, I got a hold of Pat O'Day. And I said, you know, Pat, what happened? Who did what to stop this from happening? And um, he said, oh, Maggie, I don't know anything about that at all. I thought, yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> so I'm trying to solve the mystery, right? Because she, Maggie thinks that the fair officials said, shut that down. You can't play uh-huh. that song. It's making fun of the fair, making fun of the needle. So I, World's Fair officials are getting harder and harder to track down these days. I talked to Albert Fisher and Louis Larson. Neither remembered the song, let alone any attempt to stifle it. So I went back to Pat O'Day and asked him point blank, was there any truth to the conspiracy theory?
3: Not true. At least not my radio station was, was not told that.
1: Anyway, the, the songwriter Chris Todd says that during the fair, a couple who identified themselves as the owners of the Space Needle came down to 92 Yesler and said how much they loved the song. The mystery's probably never going to be really solved. We have more details at MyNorthwest.com, and there's really only one way to end this story. Yeah, by playing this song? That's it. Yeah.
3: Well-
0: Remember the mockumentary of Mighty Wind? Oh yeah, yeah. This reminds me of that. Yeah. (laughs) This is the real thing. (laughs) I wasn't here in those years, but I certainly remember that kind of music. That was most of my, most of my college years.
1: (laughs) I can imagine that very easily.
4: And what's this hunk of plastic you got? That's the actual record.
1: That's Mike and Maggie. Oh, that's so cool. Wow. Wasn't it a mighty day?
4: And this is one of the originals, or is it That a- is the
1: only they Who knows? They didn't pr- produce very many. They didn't, nobody made any money on this song, and uh, it's on YouTube now, and they're looking to actually identify it with the Library of Congress as Chris Todd as a composer and Mike and Maggie as a performers. Colleen, the
0: way you handled that record... <laughs> It's a, is, that, is that the first time oh, you've seen no, a forty-five? No, no.
4: no. Okay. I'm t- I had a Fisher P- Price record player okay, growing good. up, so I, I was just joking with him, saying, "What's that hunk of plastic?" But it, he says it's maybe the only one, so I didn't want to manhandle it. You it know, just,
0: it's just, it just—it just worries me because the more and more of the stuff I grew up with is showing up in museums. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> very disconcerting.
4: <laughs> or it could be honoring if yes, you think about right. it that way.
0: Thank you, Felix. Thank you.
4: Things are swinging in Seattle. Oh. Things
3: are in Seattle. It's the place for me. It'll
5: always be. Things are in Seattle.
1: And now for the Nevergreen Minute, a roundup of exhibits, tours, talks, and other history events happening around the Pacific Northwest. First up, A new exhibit of historic photos at WSU's Terrell Library in Pullman showcases Mexican-American migrant workers in south-central Washington and the fight for better working conditions. La Casa, Social Justice Activism in the Yakima Valley, is open now. More info at libraries.wsu.edu. Next up, the old Beverly Bridge across the Columbia River on the Palouse to Cascades Trail officially opens to hikers, bikers, and equestrians with an event at 1 p.m. on Friday, April 8th. More info at org. And finally, on Tuesday, April 12th at 12 noon, Historic Seattle offers the first part of a crash course in historic preservation advocacy for learning how to save places that matter. More info at historicseattle.org. We'll have more Northwest history happenings on next week's edition of the Nevergreen Minute. Hey! I'm Felix Bunnell at Cairo News Radio in Seattle. You can follow me on Twitter and read my stories and see my photo galleries at MyNorthwest.com. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend and please take a moment to give a positive rating or review. Thanks for listening and please join me again for the next episode of The Resident Historian.
2: And it is with this thought that we most reluctantly conclude our glimpses of Washington State.
3: Meet me in Seattle at the fair. Da, 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 I'll be there. Da, da, you know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I gotta tell you, Phoenix, I'm an absolute warehouse of useless information.